Coming up on today's show, Ubisoft is moving away from AAA games. There's a naked banana development in the Epic vs. Apple trial. And special guest Alexa Ray Korea is here. What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by the woman, the myth, the legend, one of the original founders of What's Good Games, now video game writer, Alexa Ray Korea. I am kind of a myth. I mean, I? you kind I'm of here. are. <laughs> You've only been back to the show what, two or three times since you got your full-time job? Two. Gosh. This is three. That is tragic. It's tragically low. But I know that you are a very busy person, so we'll let it slide. Uh, it's so good to see you, my friend, even though it's virtual. I, I love seeing your face back on the show. I am excited to be here. I'm excited. This yeah. is nice. And we have Pokemon to talk about later, which is even better. Um, oh for for people who never got to see Alexa Ray on What's Good Games, I highly recommend you check out some of our archives from our first and second year. Some classic, classic WGG moments. Um, I mean, just so many memes about backflipping off the earth and everything else. Yeah. Oh, my God. I've never... I've never had a perfect a perfect moment in my life of just perfect synchronicity with the people around me as when you were reading about your seal husband and then Brittany and I, without talking, at the same time, she pulled up seal noises and I peeled up careless whisper and it all just came together. <laughs> One of the most infamous clips in What's Good Games history. Um, there was a clip in our recap video this year for our fourth anniversary where <laughs> I... I'm very emphatically telling Brittany that I do not have a thing for seals. I don't understand why this thing is perpetuated, and it's really your fault. <laughs> yeah, I take full responsibility, but I just—it's—I've committed to the bit now, so we just got to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> says says the woman going. who walked away. Just keep going with it. Anywho, we're glad that you guys are here. Thank you so much for joining us, whether it's your first episode or your 234th episode of What's Good Games. I'm glad that you guys are fans and supporters of the show. Like our May Patreon producers, Tyler Adams, Program Alice, Chewy's Godson, XS Oddities, Justin Foshi, Punctified, Rob Leonard, Ferris Atia, Marcus Ian Brown, Alex Rogopoulos, and Trevor Starkey. And welcome to our Patreon community, Andrew Courtney. Don't forget you can be part of the show and submit your questions at patreon.com slash what's good games and you can also get the show ad free speaking of ads this episode of what's good games is brought to you by a jar of ashes me undies and hello fresh but we'll tell you more about them later thank you to our new podcast reviewer naki rachi who said that our podcast is excellence personified Thank you so Aww. much, Nucky. That's very uh, kind of you. Don't forget, if you don't have a couple bucks to toss our way on Patreon, hopefully you have a couple minutes of your time to leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It helps us out so much, you guys, more than we can explain um, quickly anyway. <laughs> so if you do have a few minutes, we would love to get that five-star review from you. All right, Alexa Ray, we are going to start off our headlines talking about free-to-play. Woo! 
Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> it's going to be very exciting. I, I have a feeling it's really more about earnings calls than it is about free to play. Um, so there were two big earnings calls this week. We had Ubisoft and Electronic Arts. So I'm going to start with Ubisoft because this is the one I think that's really kind of made some waves because during that call, it sounds like they're moving away from AAA. So over at Polygon, they write that Ubisoft's top leadership says the company is prioritizing persistent, free-to-play adaptations of the video game franchises and licenses the company develops, even as its subsidiaries build standalone releases to meet blockbuster expectations in the February, fall, or holiday release windows. Also, it's funny that Polygon's like February is its own holiday or its own release window, just the month of February. Screw Anything March, screw January. We don't need those months. It's just February. Don't know. I don't think anything came out in February this year. It was There was a lot in January. Like the medium came out, a couple of other things came out, and then March had like a bunch, but I don't yeah. remember. I mean, February. definitely games came out, but not enough to warrant it being its own standalone market. Anyway, I digress. Let me continue on. Ubisoft's chief financial, financial officer gave investors... Um, some information about their fiscal year as it has just completed in the earnings report. Ubisoft quickly supplemented those statements with others saying the company is not abandoning a product roadmap that includes tent poles like Far Cry 6, Rainbow Six Quarantine. But do you, do we, how do we say, how do we say Frederick's last name? Do you think? It's gotta be French, right? Hmm. Duguay? I have Duguay. no idea. Frederick is probably listening to this podcast. Actually, he's probably not listening. Um, and <laughs> going, that's not. That's, Duget. 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 It's perfect. Duget. You nailed it. Duget. Anyway, <laughs> Frederick did say that the traditional calendar of three or four AAA caliber games is no longer a proper indication of value creation dynamics. Now, that's some 50-cent buzzwords right there. Um, this, of course, is following Ubisoft's announcement of Tom Clancy's The Division Heartland, a free-to-play chapter of the looter shooter franchise. That game is expected later this year or sometime in 2022, and it appears to match Epic Games and Activision's programming strategy with Fortnite and Call of Duty. But Ubisoft still has a lot of unannounced games to move on to store shelves in the meantime. That of includes Skull and Bones, the open-world pirate game that now is not happening until 2022. <laughs> Maybe early 2023. What what I, happened to Skull and that, Bones? Didn't we see I, that together at E3? I, he, I, I have a memory of seeing that game existing. Where is it? I want it. I don't feel so like sad. that game is going to exist in any shape that we're going to recognize in the future. I feel like that game's going to be a completely yeah. different game than the last time we saw it, um, which is, you know, which is fine. Um, but I feel like Skull Ubisoft just needs to like stop updating, but I guess like it's their earnings call. So they have to give a little, a little something, something. Um, it of course will be joined by far cry six, rainbow six quarantine and the mountain bike racing title writers Republic in the company's 2022 to 23 fiscal year. So, one thing absent 
from the earnings call, which everybody is very interested in, of course, is that Star Wars game being developed by Massive Entertainment, the studio in charge of the division. So all we've gotten so far, Alexa, if you recall, from Ubisoft on Star Wars was just like a single piece of art. There wasn't even like any Star Wars art in it. It was basically just like Massive and the Star Wars logo. And then like, we're making something. I wonder what it's going to be. Like the thing that that I am the most excited about is finding out like what era it's going to be in because like right now, I don't know. Do you have you been watching this stuff on Disney Plus? Like Bad Batch just came out. I haven't been watching Bad Batch because I'm not caught up on Rebels and oh. I feel like I need to do that first and then watch oh, Bad yes. Batch. Or do you think I'm okay to start Bad Batch without it? Did you finish Clone Wars? No. Okay, you should watch Clone Wars, and then uh, you can watch Bad Batch having only watched Clone Wars. Okay. Uh, you don't necessarily need Rebels to watch Bad Batch. However, there are a few things in the first episode of Bad Batch that would give you a little more emotional emotions for <laughs> you to watch. So Rebels you're saying first. I have to watch both? Yes. You know what? Just watch all of them. Sit down, pop some popcorn, like get a jug of not alcohol for now and then just like <laughs> sit down and just like bring on the when, Gatorade like, comes just marathon just marathon all of it it's chef kiss fingers it's so good it's okay so good. <laughs> okay I like this yeah no John's watched all of it and oh. he I mean you know having you watched it without you yeah, he watches a lot of TV without me. And I don't blame him because I am kind of a slow television watcher when we binge okay. things. And he's the kind of multitasker that he can watch television, do email, and then also be checking his phone all at the same time. No. And I just cannot <laughs> soak up all that at the same time. What it's a impossible. monster. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah. No, but also rude that he watched all that without you. We're it's not to... rude. He he knows that sometimes he just has to go on without me. <laughs> it's just like well, an agreement that we've come to that it. it's like, listen, honey, I love you. Like, I can't wait for you. Um, and those weren't series that I was particularly passionate about because while I like Star Wars, as you know, we've gone to see Star Wars uh, movies together. Um I'm not like a diehard Star Wars person. It's not my favorite space opera. We're going to be talking about my favorite space opera later in the show. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. I can't I know. wait. It's going to be great. Um, but basically, the, the takeaway from this Ubisoft story is that everyone is kind of up in arms about them moving away from AAA and moving into free-to-play. And the reason why they're doing that is probably indicated by the other earnings call that happened this week from Electronic Arts. So in addition to going over some of the regular financial stuff, they also announced that they're moving EA Play Live, their live showcase that they did last year built on EA Play to July 22nd. So completely... Skipping over E3 Digital 2021 to just go into Ju July and do their own thing. And on the backs of that announcement, well, really, on the backs of some leaks, unfortunately, they've teased a reveal for Battlefield 6 potentially coming in June. So the Battlefield Twitter account posted words that rhyme with soon, June, 
Boom. Boom doesn't rhyme with soon. Boom and soon. I'm sorry. Ooh. I'm sorry. Okay. Is it because of the N and the M difference? It bothers me. It bothers me. <laughs> You're like, listen, it the double O's me. do not give you a pass. Okay. No. No, my brain is just like, what it edit. I I appreciate the sentiment. I like it. I appreciate it, but they don't rhyme. I love it. I love that that you're just like, no, it's it's not a thing. Anywho, so I think like what we're seeing is that it's potentially going to have a reveal for Battlefield in June if they can keep their leaks under control and they don't have to push the announcement out sooner. Maybe this means that they're teaming up with Xbox to do a Battlefield reveal um, on the Xbox press conference stage, virtual stage, air quotes here, because we know mm. that Call of Duty has been partnered with PlayStation for quite some time now, the last couple of years. So it would be a nice little back and forth there. Um, and also, they revealed that just 26% of their revenue came from premium game sales last year. The rest of EA's revenue was generated by DLC, microtransactions, live service games, and mobile games, which does not surprise me. I feel like I've been preaching this message for a long time, but I think a lot of people in the industry were like, what? There's, it's just a little bit of irony, Alexa, that so many people, so mad at EA about microtransactions, but yet over 70% of their revenue coming from microtransactions. So clearly not everybody's mad about it. No, and unfortunately, sometimes that's where the good shit is. You're talking to someone who spent an embarrassing amount of money on Fire Emblem Heroes over the course of like two years. Like, that's where the good shit is. Yeah. It happens. The horny casino. Who could forget my the horny, horny casino? casino? My horny casino. Someday I'll make my own horny casino. Just you watch. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Will you please? And then I'll come and I'll, okay. I'll be a whale in your game and I'll spend money on all of the... On all of the husbandos and waifus. I mean, listen, I'm no stranger to spending a boatload of money on free-to-play games. Um, obviously, even on non-free-to-play games. Bungie and Activision have a ton of my money for silver packs that I've bought in Destiny since 2014. That is for sure uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, obviously, my normal co-host, Brittany Brombacher, who is now officially at a maternity leave, talked famously about all the money she spent on Pokemon Go, another free-to-play game. I think that there's no denying that free-to-play games are part of the gaming ecosystem, for better or for worse. But I think what's great about the evolution of where free-to-play games have gone and where gamers can feel confident is that there's a lot of developers doing it right. You can look at games like Apex Legends or look at games like Fortnite, even games like Warzone. You know, Call of Duty just announced 400 million players in Warzone. They're free-to-play uh, game. And I think that there's just a lot of really good free-to-play options out there. And again, they're free. You don't have to spend money on these games. So just untwist your panties <laughs> about games that are asking for your money. You don't need to spend it. I know. If you have poor impulse control and I speak to you as someone who has poor impulse control, <laughs> that's, that's you. That's you. But it's okay. We're all in this together. It's fine. Live your life. Live your truth. And if that's, you know, spending all of your money in Bungie on Destiny, then do it. You know what? Do it. You are living your life. And especially now... You gotta live your life. 
I support you all. I'm here. I'm here to support you all as someone who spent $800 on Fire Emblem Heroes. I'm here. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm here. in the trenches I'm with you, okay? You're not alone. I'm in there. I'm in there in the corner with my husbandos, just like shaking and muttering to myself. I'm doing it. So I love it. Okay. I love it. It's okay. Um, so when I announced, when, when I announced, when E announced that they were moving into July, <laughs> did you think that that was a good decision to get out of the way of E3? Or do you think that they're kind of missing being part of the, you know, pomp and circumstances that E3 is known for? I'm actually... I, I'm really interested to see how that plays out because E3 is all digital this year. And it's like the, fr I tried to think back over the last year and this is actually the first big digital event of the Panini times. I refuse to say the word pandemic. I just said it. <laughs> right. You wait, you so just call it the, the Panini? <laughs> the Panini. Have you, have you seen that? There's this, I, I picked it up from like dumb Twitter, but it's like nobody wants to write out the word pandemic. So they'll be like the Panera, the Panini, I Pangea. I must have. I must have missed this. No, I. I'm not yeah, up on the like, Panera and Paninis. <laughs> the Panera. So when the since the Panera started, this is like the first big event. I don't. I don't. I. I'm curious to see how E3 goes digitally. I'm curious to see what kind of numbers it pulls. Like what kind of people tune in for it because it's such like a. They're trying to coagulate an event that could very easily be done by as we've seen physically with you know EA branching off and Activision branching off and everybody doing their own thing. So I'm I'm wondering if it will matter much when things happen. I understand why they move though because they want their stuff to breathe, which is yes, I get it. But I just I also just wonder how many people will tune in versus just read the news later. Like I I I'm so fascinated by what's happening this year. To see see how this goes, because I think what happens with E3 will have an effect on how everyone does things moving forward. Yes, I think. No, I agree. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of pressure on the ESA to put on a compelling event. But I think with the amount of partners that they have announced that they can't completely flop, especially when you have Nintendo and Xbox on board as the major, you know, platform holders, I think that that's a great step. And obviously there's been several publishers that have come forward to say that they're going to be on board and be showcasing. And I think that's great. Um, they've got a stellar group of hosts. So yes, they do. I, um, I was so happy to see that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wishing them all the best of luck. It's, it's tough for me to be sidelined for E3 this year. Obviously it's digital, and so, you know, it wouldn't be as busy as a normal year would be for me anyway, but it's oh, like a week before my due date. So, um, I had yeah, some, I had say. some partners I've worked with in the past reach out to me about doing stuff for E3. And I was just like, listen, I love you guys, but it's just too risky for you. I didn't feel like it was the right call to, to take on any responsibilities. And everyone who's watching the show and listening to the podcast knows that, Steimer and I have said it's a giant maybe if we're going to be doing any like stream alongs uh, and that. Brittany, though, seems convinced that she's going to be ready to go. And I'm like, girl, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I was going to say you're doing something way more important that week. You're creating life. So like, Aww. you need some time to yourself. <laughs> it's true. And I kind of get to have the you know, the experience of reliving an E3 because before I started working E3, this would have been my 14th E3, 
which is kind of bonkers to think about. No. <laughs> yes, oh it would have been. Whoa. In the days before I was working E3, there was no way to w watch live streams of E3. Um, even back then, G4 and Spike TV weren't streaming the whole thing. You would see packages on stuff later on, um, but they weren't these comprehensive all-day live streams like we get from your IGNs and your GameSpots and stuff now. Um, and so I think it's really going to be an interesting year for me personally to kind of be on the consumer side, just kind of watching it all, <laughs> watching it all happen. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be interesting. With, um, with baby, hopefully. Yes. Well, hopefully, hopefully the baby early. chills. I mean, she could come early, but hopefully she, she just chills, just chills for another well, week or two. We need another for war zone. So as soon as you can get her going. <laughs> Go. <laughs> as soon as she's ready for, for your squad also we need to play like i'm down yes we do we haven't played in forever anywho i digress now to play <laughs> let's to. move on to our next story but before we do that? that i want to let you know this episode of what's good games is brought to you by filmmaker author and fan of the show shaz mosin shaz has recently published a sci-fi illustrated novella about the relationship between two south asian women titled a jar of ashes which is available now on apple books and amazon kindle a Jar of Ashes is book one in his sci-fi series titled The Story of Neela, which tells an intimate story about the protagonist Neela and her role aboard the Andromeda-based space station Moksha 72 and her relationship with its commander, Amaris Nazim. Taking inspiration from shows like Star Trek video games like Mass Effect, and his roots as a South Asian from Bangladesh, Shaz looks to tell the ongoing story about identity, cultural history, and the connections we have with our roots, while also exploring LGBTQ plus relationships told through the eyes of people of color. With enough support, Shaz alongside artist Emily Lampson hoped to have the story of Neela span across multiple books in the years to come. Support their journey today by getting a copy of A Jar of Ashes on Apple Books or Amazon Kindle. You can visit the link in our description below for more info, or you can go directly to shazmosin.com. That's S-H-A-Z-M-O-H-S-I-N.com. A Jar of Ashes is available now on Apple Books and Amazon Kindle. Support Shaz's story by picking up a copy of his book today. Last week on the show, we spent pretty much the entire news block talking about the epic trial, as I called it, the Epic versus Apple trial that is still ongoing. And <laughs> there has been it. some interesting developments. We're not going to go too much into what's going on because it's a lot to cover, but I could not resist talking about the appropriateness of Fortnite's naked banana man, Peely. The banana is so good. Oh my god. I saw this and I was like, I died. There's thinking been, about it. There's been just some silliness happening in this trial. We we talked about some of it last week, but according to Eurogamer, it was inevitable. The appropriateness of Fortnite's bizarre banana man, Peely, has now been discussed in open court. Last night in the ongoing Apple versus Epic trial, Peely came under scrutiny for being a naked piece of fruit with arms and legs. How dare he? In remarks transcribed from the courtroom by Verge reporter Addie Robertson, a lawyer for Apple brought up Peely in court and made a deal of showing the character wearing clothes in his chapter two can season. Do, yes. Can we do a dramatic reading? Can we do a dramatic reading of this? 100%. Exchange, 100%. <laughs> 
So do you want to be, be the epic marketing boss or do you want to be the lawyer? Yes. <laughs> I want to be the epic marketing boss. Okay. I need to stop. <sighs> okay. Here oh we, here, here we so go. <clears throat> we have a large yellow banana here in a tuxedo. The lawyer yes, asked. That's, that's Peely. Epic Games marketing boss, Matthew Weisinger. 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 This is still you, Matthew. <laughs> yes, that's Peely. We thought it was we thought it was better to go with the suit instead of the naked banana because we are in federal court right now. Oh wait, no, that was the lawyer. <laughs> we screwed Oops. up the reading. We screwed up <laughs> the dramatic it's reading. Fine. Everybody gets it. It's too dramatic. Oh, We're too Apple's dramatic. lawyer noted before going on to ask <laughs> questions about Peely's exclusivity in certain paid-for battle passers. <laughs> Protocol reporter Nick Stat suggested <laughs> the line of questioning was intended by Apple to paint Epic as some greedy game company exploiting children and exposing them to lewd content. That's my uh, that's my nightly news reporter voice. <laughs> However, when Epic's own lawyer took the stand, the company decided to call out Apple's attack on its <laughs> banana. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> okay, you have to play Epic's you have to play Oh wait, no, you can't play Epic's lawyer cuz you have a you have a very important line coming up. Yes, I do. <laughs> you can be Epic's, Epic's lawyer said, "A little bit of digression. We talked about Peely, our banana, there might have been an implication that showing Peely without a suit might have been inappropriate. Is there anything inappropriate about Peely without clothes? It's just a banana, ma'am. <laughs> Another interesting tidbit was that Epic sold 3.3 million NFL skins in a month back in 2018. 3.3 million skins at 1,500 V-Bucks, that's roughly $14 as of winter 2018, is close to $50 million for one set of skins. Epic has never disclosed how many of a particular character or item it typically sells, so this is an intriguing insight. And reporter voice. So... I need to know. I need to know. I want to know the person, if you are the person responsible for saying... And then for thinking and then verbalizing and then putting into action, we cannot show a naked banana in court. I need to talk to you. <laughs> like, I, I, I need to, I got to know. I got to know because he's just a banana. It's just a banana, so, ma'am. <laughs> I need to know. I need to know who's my, if you, I don't know if you can pick it up. My dog is like agreeing with me in the background somewhere. I need to know. I need to know. I also need to know why they chose of the multitude of Fortnite characters, they were like, okay, we're going to talk about this banana, but not the banana in its natural form. We got to put a suit on it. I need to know the exact line of thinking that made this happen because this is the best thing ever. And someday I'm going to write the movie adaptation of this trial. And it's just a banana, ma'am. It's going to be in all the marketing material. <laughs> this is the best part. Just so silly. Um, but what's been really fascinating about this trial is some of the information that's come to light. So one of the stories we talked about last week on the show was, of course, um, a lot of third-party developer industry secrets kind of accidentally getting exposed in court slash not accidentally because of the records and the documents were subpoenaed by the court. Um, but it's about you know people saying, hey, we have legal documents that protect us from 
this stuff being publicly exposed and being in public documents. It was a whole mess. And so that's why I thought this last paragraph was interesting. The idea that just this one skin pack that Epic sold for the NFL back in 2018 generated close to $50 million of revenue, which is cuckoo bananas. Cause like, imagine how much some of the Marvel stuff must have generated for them. Right. Oh yeah. Like, oh my goodness. I can't, I can't even imagine because like obviously NFL stuff is super popular here in the United States, but the Marvel stuff is popular worldwide. Yeah. So curious. No wonder Epic has made so much money from Fortnite. (laughs) I really hope if you are an individual who teaches a game design or any sort of game course at any college or university, like I hope they teach what came out of this trial and what this trial means and everything. I know it's not even over yet, but I really hope that this is brought up and taught and talked about like as we move forward, because this stuff is fascinating. It's just fascinating. Indeed. Well, the trial still has some time to go. We of course will keep you updated on where the dust settles after a verdict is reached. Moving on, PlayStation has been working on 25 PS5 games and half of them are new franchises. According to IGN, PlayStation Studios had Herman Hall says that they have more than 25 games in development. Previously reported by Wired, Hall says that PlayStation Studios, which is comprised of studios like Hall's Old Stomping Grounds, Gorilla Games, Naughty Dog, Insomnia Games, and more, has more than 25 titles in development for the PS5. This doesn't necessarily mean that there are 25 first-party games in the works at PlayStation Studios. Games like Sackboy, A Big Adventure, and Returnal were both published under PlayStation Studios' banner, but were developed by studios not owned by Sony, Sumo Digital, and Housemark in this instance, respectively. This is exciting news nonetheless for anyone wondering what Sony is up to beyond Ratchet and Clank, A Rift Apart, which had some previews come out this week, which is set to release next month. Some other titles have been revealed, such as Gorilla's Horizon Forbidden West, which we think is coming out this year, but it's probably going to be delayed. Um, or even Sony Santa Monica's God of War Ragnarok, which has been discussed um, at, not at all, really, since it was revealed in the state of play last summer. Also said 2021, but listen, Alexa, I'm not holding my breath that either of those games is going to make it this year. I would guess if either of them were going to, Horizon would be the one to make it for fall 2021. And I would think God of War would maybe be spring 2022. What do you think? I agree. I agree. I feel like Based on when they were announced and what we've seen of them so far, I feel like that is a very accurate guess. Also, I just kind of want Horizon a lot. Yes. (laughs) Do you remember when we were stumping so hard to get Britney to play Horizon and she just wouldn't do it and now she's like Horizon number one fangirl? I, I... That that Horizon was one of the games that, like, to me, just felt like after a long day and after everything going on, it's like one of the better first-person story-driven games to just sit down and, like, lose yourself in. I thought everything was just, you could just walk around the world, shoot some dinosaurs, you go to the story stuff, like, love it, really want the next one, come on, please, it's been long enough, yes. can I have it? Thank you. Please yes. and thank you. Oh, and I do remember Brittany fought us really hard. Brittany, why? 
I don't know. Why? Back, do you remember? She, she was always going with that tree business, going on and on about how she doesn't like trees. She's like, there's too many trees. And I, we were like, what? Come on. But she saw the light. <laughs> through the trees? <laughs> she saw the light through the trees. Yes, yes she Brittany, did. Brittany, <laughs> what is your problem with trees? You live in a place with many trees. <laughs> The state trees. of Washington has an abundance of trees. There's no denying also, that. Also, their trees are really well done. Like, I, I understand the beef with some game foliage, because sometimes it's just, like, it doesn't look right. Like, you have, like, the weird uncanny valley of trees. Does that make sense? Yes. Am I making sense right now? The yeah. uncanny tree It's uncanny like tree patches valley. of trees have been copied and pasted into the world. Yeah, or, like, you get up to the leaf, and the leaf is, like, clearly just, like, a flat something that's just been, like, stuck on it. So, like, yeah. those were not the trees. Horizon yeah. Zero Dawn did not have those trees. They had trees that were trees. They were great. I need to talk to her. That's weird. The Uncanny Tree Valley. Uncanny Tree Valley. <laughs> How, don't, don't you miss me? I miss valley. you so much. So much. Um, speaking of Uncanny Tree Valleys, that's not a segue that really makes sense. Uh, Sony's next generation VR headset for PlayStation 5 has significantly higher resolution, inside-out tracking, a vibration motor, and even foveated rendering. Reliable sources have told Upload VR. So we don't actually know if any of this stuff is legit, but Upload VR has a scoop, Ooh. allegedly, about what's coming for PSVR 2. The only thing we know for certain is that Sony has said they are working on a follow-up to the headset that will be paired with PlayStation 5 at some point. We don't know when its release date is or what its specs are going to be, but we do know that Valve announced the HTC Vive Pro 2 um, is going to be coming out for a cool 800 bucks, but if you want the whole package, it's going to cost oh. you $1,400. Yikes. Hey, you know, just, just a cool 1400 I'm sure, after, you know, just 1400 That's just, a lot. Just a little That's bit. That's not consumer friendly. It's, That's a lot. It is not. <laughs> it never has been, but, you know, there's always a part of the tech field that um, is not meant to be for the masses. It's meant to be high-end gear for technophiles and people that like the really high-end experiences, and that's okay. It's okay that those things exist and that most of us will never, ever get to have those things. <laughs> um, there I are definitely mind. other VR <laughs> options out there like the Oculus Quest, which are much more consumer-friendly. And I think as the technology proliferates, it'll become more consumer-friendly as time goes on. But have you kind of changed your thoughts about VR at all in recent years, knowing how it's been evolving? Or are you still pretty much like, eh, it's not really for me? Well, I still barf. So that's know, definitely a big deterrent. Me too. <laughs> that's a big, that's a big deterrent. I'm surprised I still barf, but I still barf. Um, I was reading, oh gosh, I was reading the GDC state of the industry survey and they had a whole section talking about, they've done a question on like, are you developing AR VR for the last couple of years? Um, and, uh, I think this year the number went down a, like a significant percent, maybe like six or eight. Don't quote me on the number, but it did go down. Um, that less developers are developing for VR and AR, which immediately screams like, oh, it was like a fad. I don't think it's a fad. I just think that VR is like 
a really, I think it's popular with a niche. I think it's going to find a niche footing the same way that game genres find a niche footing, which is totally okay. And like VR is super fun. I, the only game that I can get through and not like melt into a puddle of like vomit and sad on the floor right after is res infinite, which is really weird because you're in a blank space flying around hitting things and you would think that would make me vomit, but for some reason doesn't make me vomit. Maybe because I'm not, th- I don't know. I don't know. Have my you body's spent weird. some time playing Beat Saber? <laughs> it's kind of that same vibe. Yeah, I can play. I can play Beat Saber. I can play Beat Saber. I can play Beat Saber. I can play Res Infinite. Res Beat Saber. I get a little like, but like Res Infinite. Maybe because I'm distracted by everything going on around me, I'm like okay with. Yeah. But most VR games, like I know there was a. Um, Oh, I did try, I forgot what it was called because I'm awful, but it was a live performance streamed in VR of The Tempest. Mm. And I watched it. I mean, I'll go and look it up because I can't brain. Dead brain, dev brain, dead brain. Um, and it was really nice because it was really slow and like you have things to focus on. But VR for me is definitely a sometimes treat. Uh, when I'm not turning, like turning shooting, I would really love to play that like uh, Tales from Galaxy's Edge Star Wars VR game. But unfortunately, like I was in it for two minutes and I immediately wanted to barf. And that's on me because I'm a barfy human. I barf. <laughs> it's not you. It's definitely like a motion sickness thing. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, the people that but the people I know that do like VR and play VR, play it like all the time, which is why I feel like it's going to be a genre niche. Like it's moving in sort of like the genre niche category. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Just to kind of finish up our news block here, I wanted to just give a shout out to Capcom. They announced that they have record profits for the fourth year in a row bolstered by Resident Evil and Monster Hunter Specifically, Resident Evil Remake 3 really helped their fiscal year last year, and Monster Hunter Rise has been doing gangbusters, and Resident Evil Village has shipped 3 million copies globally during launch. So congrats to Capcom for uh, for crushing it. Big lady game. I have it. I want to play it. I'm, I'm yeah? going to play it. I haven't played... I'm so, like, again, it's first person, which brings with it, like, that will she barf? Will she not barf? But... I'm really excited to play it because I'm excited about Big Lady. <laughs> Lady Dimitrescu. <laughs> I also watched all of Britney's stuff and she's just like so, she's so like just infectious and excited about it. I'm like, okay, I'll play it. Good I job played it start to finish. <laughs> I finished it. Yeah. I'm very proud What'd of myself. Think? What'd you think? Um, well, we talked about it on the show last week. So spoiler free, I thought the game was really fun. I had a great time with it. I can see where some of the criticisms are, but what's tough about a survival horror game is that you're never going to appease everybody because everybody's level of horror that they want is going to be so varied. So some people really wanted more of a true, like psychological, scary um, experience that we got in Resident Evil 7. Some people like myself preferred more of a balanced, like, action sections with spooky stuff and i think resident evil village really delivered on that um i do think that some of the exploration areas were a little bit labored on um there were some parts of the game that i wish they would have spent a little bit more time on but overall i thought it was a really fun game that was really approachable for someone like me who 
doesn't Yay. really like survival horror mechanics. I want all of the bullets, thank you. Just give them all to me. Give me all of the bullets. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm 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 really excited to play it once I like have five minutes to breathe. That's on my list. I'm very excited. Also, I love Resident Evil and I love y'all, but like it peaked at dogs in the window. Like nothing will be scarier <laughs> than the dogs coming through the window when you don't expect it. That's, That's why I can't go back and play like <laughs> the older ones. Like doing Resident Evil 2 remake, I think was only possible because I had Brittany coaching me through most of it. It's the only reason I Amazing. finished it. And I never finished Claire's playthrough. I did Leon's playthrough. No, mm. the other way around. I did Claire's playthrough, didn't finish Leon's. But yeah, I didn't go back. Once I went Dogs through it once, I was like, this is good. I'm good. I don't need to unlock tofu <laughs> or any of that business. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm set. Oh I'm all set. <sighs> um, anywho, that's going to do it for our news for this week. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we've been playing and you know what week it is. It's Mass Effect week. I can't uh, wait to hear about it. It's going to be great. Stick with us, everybody. We'll be right back. back everybody it is the second segment of the what's good games podcast where we talk about what we've been playing and any preview events we have been to but before we get to that i want to let you know that this episode of what's good games is brought to you by hello fresh what is hello fresh you may be asking well with hello fresh you get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door skip trips to the grocery store and count on hello fresh to make home cooking easy fun and affordable that's why it's america's number one meal kit so we talk about HelloFresh a lot on this show. We've been working with them for several months now. And what's really great about HelloFresh is that they cut out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so that you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. Both Brittany and Jason have been cooking together and John and I have been cooking together. I really should say that John has been doing most of the cooking, which is wonderful because because I've been very tired these last couple of months. And he's really stepped up and expanded his cooking repertoire with all of these amazing recipes from HelloFresh. They have over 25 recipes to choose from each week, from vegetarian meals to craft burgers and extra special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy with all the recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. In fact, I believe tonight he is making firecracker meatballs. We had creamy dill chicken yesterday and it was wonderful. It's one of my favorites, but I digress. HelloFresh has been named Newsweek's most trusted meal kit company of 2021 with over 4 million households served. Their fresh ingredients are sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week, contact free, of course. If you want to get in on the HelloFresh craze and make meals for yourself and help save you money on your grocery store trips, Go to HelloFresh.com slash What's Good 12 and use the code What's Good 12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Try America's number one meal kit by heading to HelloFresh.com slash What's Good 12 and use the code What's Good 12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Oh, there he is. Look at how cute he is. Look at his little face. 
he made a he made an appearance. He's on my lap right now. Very quiet. For that will change. For every <laughs> podcast listener, you want to go to youtube.com slash what's good games to see a sneak peek of Alexa's adorable little puppy. His name is Chip. Oh, he's so cute. Is he just very friendly. a straight chihuahua or is he a chihuahua mix? He is a straight chihuahua. When we actually um, got him, he he's not a he's not a he's only five pounds. He won't get much bigger unless we overfeed him and then he gets fat. <laughs> but he he is uh, he's just small. When we got him, he was uh, uh, he's cryptorchid, which means his balls didn't drop. So when we neutered him, we had to like go in and get him. But he's okay. just tiny. He's He's just naturally the tiniest chihuahua ever, and he's also super friendly and loves people, especially women. Aww. He loves women. Well, women are the and best, Avi. Nice. Chip has good taste. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's great. But he was like, where's my mother? Why isn't she playing with me? And so he came in here and was like, hello. You're yeah. still on the computer. That's nice that, that <laughs> he's being a good boy. Um, the kittens were outside the door for a little bit, and I was like, no. If I let you into the studio, you will just run amok. But enough about our pets. Alexa, it's time to talk about Mass Effect. Tell me. Tell me all of the things. Talk to me. I have. (laughs) I have. So I played all of Mass Effect pre-head injury. And the only good thing that has come out of this is that I remember very little from the original trilogy. So I'm excited to play it again. Ooh. Like I never played it. Ooh, I can't exciting. Shit. <laughs> you get to you I'm get so to excited. relive it all over again. So I even put on my my Mass Effect N7 front oh my God, to my so cool. to my case to match my N7 shirt. Um, so it. it's no surprise to anybody listening to the show that I am a giant Mass Effect fangirl. I've been very op- open about that and very vocal okay. about that. So, you know, if you want to take what I say with a grain of salt, you know, please feel free to do so. Um, EA gave me a code to check out the Mass Effect Legendary Edition a couple of days ahead of launch, but I've only had it for a couple of days. So I've only been able to put in about 10 hours, which is like a drop in the bucket for three Mass Effect games. So I can only kind of give you guys my first impressions of what I've been playing from the original Mass Effect in the Legendary Edition. So it's let's pretty. just go ahead and 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 dive right and dive right in. So I don't want to you know go over too much about all the different features. Essentially, the Legendary Edition is a remaster of the three original games. This is not. A remake. I repeat, this is not a remake. It is a remaster. So the big difference there is that they're essentially taking old assets and then shining them up, putting a fresh coat of paint on them to be incredibly reductive um, and making the game look new again. But they are not rebuilding anything. They are not recreating. They're not reimagining anything. A lot of people had asked, you know, are they going to be changing some of the narrative elements in the game? No, they are not. None of the narrative choices in the game have changed. You can't, um, you know, do things um, differently than what the choices were in the original playthroughs. Obviously, if you want to go full Renegade and when you went full Paragon before, you can choose to do that, but um, there's not going to be anything different this time around. I know, right? I'm so excited. Renegade for life! So is that your thing? Were you were you a renegade person? 
So I, I played it through twice and remember nothing. Uh, I did Renegade and then I did Paragon. I'm one of those people that like obsessively plays games like this that have all of the narrative options and the romance options and like ways to make the story different. I just have to experience everything. It's like this weird, this weird, just like compelling desire. Like I have to, I have to see all of it. I don't think it's weird. (laughs) Because I had to pick one. It's Renegade. Okay, interesting, because Andrew Courtney wrote in at patreon.com slash what's good games and had asked, I have one question for Alexa, Paragon, uh, Paragon or Renegade, and now we know that it's I'm it's chaos. Renegade. You've, you've heard me on the show. You've seen me on Twitter. I'm fucking chaos. I, I, sorry. I'm just chaos. I'm just chaos. I'm wearing a shirt. You can't see it. It says, it says um, I'm not a hot mess. I'm a spicy. Hold on. I'm just going to stand up and show you. Yes. Let's you. see. I'm not a hot mess. I'm not a hot mess. I'm a spicy disaster. (laughs) I like it. Spicy spicy disaster. Which is just me. I'm just a spicy, just rolling into pure chaos. Ask my coworkers. Ask anyone I've worked with. I'm just a, you know, I just kind of roll in and blow shit up. So, it's true. (laughs) But But in a really fun way. Um, but yeah, back to, back to the game. Um, <laughs> so tell me more. <laughs> so I'm just going to show you guys, this was a trailer that they put out kind of showcasing side by side, some of the graphical enhancements that they made. But, um, so far into Ooh. my playthrough in mass effect, the original, I've definitely noticed Ooh. the changes to the Mako, which we're seeing here in the, in the footage, the Mako drives a lot better than it did in the original. Um, the graphics and the lighting effects in particular have been, Really fantastic. The textures that you see in the cutscenes have definitely been improved. I mean, there's the game just looks really great. But I think the thing that's really important for everybody to remember is that this still is an older game. Like, this is not something that you should go in expecting it to feel and play like you're playing Destiny. <laughs> Because, spoilers, it don't feel that way. (laughs) What I really like to kind of compare my short time that I've had so far with the game is to what we saw in the Master Chief collection for some of the older Halo games. I mean, and Halo is even older than Mass Effect. But I think what I'm trying to communicate to you guys is that you should adjust your expectations to remind yourself that the game is not going to play like a shooter you would get in 2020 or 2021. It's going to play like a shooter from, you know, like the mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s. And what that means is that, you know, you if you kind of temper your expectations, I think you're still really going to enjoy it because as everybody knows, the thing that's really great about Mass Effect is not its combat. It never has been. It's the RPG elements. It's the relationships that you have with other characters. It's the conversations that you get to have and those relationships that you get to build. And all of that is still there. The first time I went to the planet to meet up with Dr. Tassoni, I was like, oh, girl, I missed you. So, because she's my number one bae. Who did you romance, Alexa? Who was your number one? Liara. Of course it's Liara. She's the only one <laughs> worth romancing. 
She and then you know I like I like Garrus as well. He's good. I like him. <clears throat> um, no, those are my two. I like always, even when I wasn't even thinking about it, I always gravitated towards those two. Um, I don't know something about the just like the way you can connect with Theara and like multiple levels that are like not physical. And um, Ali Hillis does a wonderful delivery for her character. So I yes. was just like, she's my girl. She's my so girl. good. I mean, and within minutes of I talking with Ashley, I'm like, no wonder I murdered you. Like, no wonder. I don't understand this yeah. contingency of people out there. You know who you are of Ashley fans. I just, she's just such a punk this whole time. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to take you out on any missions. Um, <laughs> so nope. It's, it's been, it's been fun so far. Um, some of the things that I really like that have really greatly improved my gameplay experience so far in the legendary edition that people who've never played the game are never going to have to experience are the load times. Holy moly. Oh, are the yeah. load times <laughs> impressively fast. So I am playing on an Xbox series X and to be clear, this is the backwards compatible version that you can play on Xbox one because they are not putting an official next gen version out. So you can play the PS4 version on PS5 as well, but gone are the days of sitting and watching that animation of going to between the systems and the galaxy map. Cause that was one of the things that was so painful in the first Mass Effect was just how slow it was to travel between these different systems. And now it's just like, you can barely pick up your phone and boom, you've already loaded in. Going to and from the Normandy to the to planet side, incredibly fast. Um, moving around the Normandy very fast. The fast travel system on the Citadel using the Citadel rapid transit is just it's a game changer, quite honestly, like how fast you can move around in the world. I think it's really going to shave down a lot of time on my playthrough. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, it's been it's been Ugh. really excellent. And like I had said, the the graphics look great. I mean, I'm not going to mince words here. The facial mocap animation, the lip syncing, it's not it's not the best. <laughs> it's, it wasn't the best back then. It's not the best now. Um, Bioware was very open about the fact that while they cleaned up a lot of the uh, facial animations, they didn't go back and re-motion capture all of the cutscenes. Like, that would have been would a be massive crazy. undertaking. And expensive. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you're going to get weird lip sync. It's going to happen. But it doesn't bother me. Like, it didn't bother me. So, um, I'm just excited to get to Mass Effect 2 because Mass Effect 2 is my favorite. Yeah, Mass Effect Two. I feel like is the has the two towers effect going for it, where it's like it, it, everyone expects it to just be the bridge, but it's not the bridge. It's actually like really packed and really powerful and really good. I agree with you. Mass Effect Two is the good one. The best. Yeah, one. it's interesting like that, that you are equating it to the two towers. Um, <laughs> it kind of it kind of does feel that it kind of does feel that way. Uh, that is my favorite of the three Lord of the Rings um, as well. Me too. So We also, well, you and I have one movie left, I realized. And it's The Battle of Five Armies. Yes. Which I also realized I have only watched once and it was with you in theaters. I haven't seen it since. 
gosh. It's, that was a million years ago. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Holy moly. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely yeah. watched it more than once since then, but it's been a while. Um, Not me. When we were doing our our Hobbit watch along. We have one more. <laughs> oh, we'll get it done. We we'll get it more. done eventually. Um, I'm coming when it's safe. <laughs> yes, please. I've got my vaccines. Come, come visit. It'll be, it'll be wonderful. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about smog and everything else. It'll be great. Smog. Um, <laughs> so back to Mass Effect. What I also wanted to kind of touch on with my time with the original Mass Effect in the Legendary Edition is some of the changes that they've made to combat. So this was a big thing that a lot of people were really concerned about saying, Hey, like the combat in Mass Effect one in particular was super clunky. Um, it doesn't feel like Mass Effect three, just quite honestly, as much as work as they have done making Mass Effect's combat better, it still feels like a clunky cover shooter. The cover works sometimes. Um, it's not working great. Um, you know, the, I will say the, the commanding of your teammates is much better. That was something that really improved over the trilogy is how you interact with your, squ <laughs> sorry, I can see Chip's little face, how you can interact <laughs> with your squad mates and giving them commands to use their abilities. I do like how you can, from the very beginning, start picking up all kinds of weapons, like the inventory system and managing upgrades feels a lot more fluid. So I really love that. So that feels great. I don't feel like I'm hindered by any of the upgrades that I've gotten so far. In fact, I feel like I'm upgrading myself quite quickly. Like I'm probably going to like oh, max okay. out some stuff, which is interesting because um, I know how much more game I have left to play. But um, I am kind of regretting going for Vanguard class this time. So I don't know if you remember. Why? Well, because like I really like opening stuff and I don't have the electronic skill that I need. And Tally doesn't have her electronics fully upgraded yet. And so I hate coming upon a chest that says electronics level too low to hack. And I'm like, no, <laughs> there could be something in there that I want, though. <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But, I mean, the very first time I ever played Mass Effect, I went as, you know, soldier class, which is kind of, you know, your generic combat class. But I've been really liking... Um, I've been all in on the biotics classes, you know, since my last couple playthroughs of Mass Effect 3 and really learning those biotic combos. But I haven't been able to get any of the combo detonators to work in the original Mass Effect. And I don't remember for the life of me if they were activated in the original Mass Effect or if that's something they added later on. I'm the wrong person to ask. Yeah. I have no freaking idea. Yeah, I like looked up the. Yeah. And then it's like a it's a very expansive spreadsheet. If you look at all of the different combos, power combos oh, you can yeah. put together, not just biotic, but the tech, the tech powers too. Um, but I mean, I think again, I, the thing I want to impress upon people: if you've never played Mass Effect, um, and I really am looking forward to you going through and experiencing the story of Mass Effect. I was reminded when I was surveying planets just how much love I have for sci-fi as a genre and how much Mass Effect as a series 
is a love letter to science fiction. And there's so many great science tidbits in there about all the different planets and then how they, you know, how the ship moves in space. And when you go down and you talk to the engineer and the drive core room and like all that super nerdy stuff that I know absolutely nothing about IRL, but like in Mass Effect, it makes it seem all like sexy and exciting. And I'm like, yes, tell me more about these protons. <laughs> yeah, no, Mass Effect has also laid the groundwork for like a lot of sci-fi stuff coming out now. Like I would say that when I watch The Expanse, I see a lot, which I'm watching for the first time. Oh, I know. It's you so can yell good. At me on Twitter. Oh, I love it. You you can yell at me on Twitter. It escaped my radar. I was doing horny casino nerd shit in a corner and missed it when it first came out. But like I'm watching it now, but like I see a lot of like, Oh, this is very much inspired by mass Effect, And I feel like it inspired uh, the next generation or a bunch of writers that have come up and grown into games and entertainment now. So like mass effect is not just a love letter, but it's also a, it's also just set a precedent for so much space opera stuff that's coming out now. And I love that. I love that you can look at something that's come out since, you know, three and then look at something that came out before the first one came out and you can see the like pre mass effect, post mass effect. It's a cultural cornerstone, I think in the sci-fi genre. So I'm very excited to play again. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, the expanse oh, is so good too. So good. If you guys haven't seen it. Um, it's on my to-do list for reading, but um, I just wanted to let you guys know that it's so far my playthrough has been great. I'll give you guys an update next week once I get a chance to play more. Obviously, I want to play some of two and some of three before I give kind of like a final thought on it. I know that there are some people out there that are like, but why would I spend this money buying games that I can get like in the discount bin? And I'm like, because it's faster to play because the experience is better. Um, are there bugs? Yeah, definitely. I've already run into a couple bugs, but you <laughs> spoilers. There's a shit ton of bugs in the original games. In fact, there's like a whole yeah. cinema series <laughs> about the bugs in mass effect. Um, but I, I think that if you like sci-fi and you like deep RPGs where you can form meaningful relationships or where your actions and your narrative choices have real consequences, then I think you'll really enjoy your time with Mass Effect and you should check out Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Um, and that's all I'm yeah. going to say about it for right now because I could just go on and on and on, but I want to talk to you about Pokemon Snap. Shit. How many times on this show was I like, where's the new Pokemon Snap, Nintendo? Where's Pokemon Snap? How many times was I like, where the fuck is this game? Now it's here. Yep. <laughs> and I'm it's finally it. here. Um, Pokemon Snap has been... So for some... I've been in game... Just, just my brain just melting out of my ears every day at the end of the day. Because there's so much going on right now. And if you've been following the news, you know what's going on. Um, somebody is working on Call of Duty 2021, which hopefully I can talk to you about later yes um, we will but... you know have that somebody back on the show to do an official interview at some point somebody will come back and talk about shit stuff to talk about um but yeah so i've been playing i i have i have near i have all that stuff i've been playing pokemon snap and i i just feel like this is the game like 
that I wanted the original to be. The original is classic. Don't get me wrong. I love it. It's really nice. There's something really soothing about basically playing what is a like magic eye find them puzzle and then taking photos of like the Pokemon and stuff. But like this game, like every time you go into a level, something different appears. So you don't necessarily have the same experience twice. And that to me was nice. And also it's just kind of relaxing to kind of like just trundle along through these super chill environments, like the beach at sunset. I played this game. I played these levels that we're looking at right now um, while I was like sitting by a pool in Palm Springs last week because I decided I needed to get the hell out of Dodge. So I went out and went down to Palm Springs. But like this is like... It's, it's, it's relaxing. It's fun. If you have been a Pokemon fan and played everything that has come up since this game, you'll find something to love. But if you're someone like me who missed a couple entries, uh, who didn't know some of the Pokemon that were shown, it's actually still enjoyable. Because I then went in and was like, oh, like, what is this Pokemon? Like, it's kind of like you're discovering it, no matter if you're a lapsed player or if you're a new player. Um, and I really enjoyed it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Also, you get to like throw shit at Pokemon and knock them over and make them make funny faces. And I like that too. And it's just, it's, it's nice. It's nice. It's definitely, I know there's like a story, it's wrapped around a story, but I think that the thing to come to if whether you're a lapsed Pokemon player or whether you're a like diehard Pokemon player is there's just something so simply relaxing as engaging in something as simple as just a photo hunt. Like it kind of reminds me of those original magic eye puzzles where it's like, oh, find a boot or find a whatever. And then you could do shit like this where you put it in a frame and add some sparkles and stars to it and share it online. Let me tell you, I have like a million photos of the haunted sandcastle when I finally yes, found it. Yes, Sandy Gas. It took me Sandy, yes, Sandy, yes. It took me forever. You have to beat the game, and then you unlock the course where it is. Um, but I, I, uh, I, I was so excited when he showed up, and he makes this fun little noise, and he's like, and you can feed him, and I fed him, and he jumped around, and he came after me, and I was like, oh, my son is here. I haven't posted the photos <laughs> yet. I have some really excellent Sandy ass photos. Um, I love it. You introduced so me good. to <laughs> sides of Pokemon that I never knew existed, and obviously, you know, Britta's our resident Pokemon expert. Steimer has played plenty of Pokemon as well. I'm really like the Pokemon newbie of, of the group here. Um, so Steimer brought her switch over last week and let me play a couple levels in Pokemon Snap. And I was just feeling a little frustrated on the uh, on the <laughs> on rails part of it because I was like, oh, I want to I wanted to go slower. I need more time. There's too many Pokemons to take pictures of. And so I would just like snap a bunch of photos, but then I'd let her decide which ones to keep since it was her game. And I didn't want to like mess up her ratings and stuff. But I absolutely understand like how this can really be a relaxing game for people to play, particularly, you know, in the time of the Panini. <laughs> the Panini <laughs> is still happening. <laughs> you want something that is not so stressful, you know, and this is a game that's a nice chill game with very low stakes, you know, just Three throwing apples at little pocket monsters. 
Yeah. And like the thing that, so I played, I played the original recently. Granted, I was a couple of cocktails deep when I did play it. So I got drunk and played Pokemon Snap a couple weeks ago. The original, that's what I did. And it, you know, for its, for its time, it was like fun. But when I think about what they've done with this one and this one for the Switch, instead of using the joysticks, you can actually use like the gyroscope. Like you can pick it up and do all that stuff with it. And that to me, like when the Wii U came out, I was like, oh, this is perfect for Pokemon Snap. And I've been waiting for it ever since. So I'm glad it's here now. But the thing that, like the original the mainline Pokemon games can be a little intimidating between the like, gotta catch them all and you gotta battle them. And the worlds are actually pretty substantial and pretty big. And they can be a deterrent for a lot of people for the series. But I think stuff like this, where it's just like, Oh, you're just taking photos and you just have to, you know, make sure you, you take a cool photo or he's doing something interesting. And then you get points. I think is a more um it's a little more friendly it's a friendlier way to bring someone into the series i think of it more in line with something like pokemon go than something like pokemon let's go or pokemon sword and shield it's sort of in that line of like you're not a core gamer maybe maybe you're not a core gamer but this is still an interesting and unique experience that you can take part in i'm you know i'm extremely excitable so maybe i'm not the best like example for this but when i unlocked the course it's it's like the beach night and when i unlocked the course and i rounded the corner and i saw the shovel in the sand i was like no fucking way <laughs> and as we got closer i was like and i did a scan and it popped up and it said sandy gas and i was like <gasps> and so i just started throwing all these apples at it i'm like come on man come on man and he popped up and he made this like ridiculous noise. And then he started actually like some of them have animations where they eat the fruit. So he started eating it. He yawned and then he started eating the fruit. And I took like a, I think you have like 70 something photos in a roll. I blew my whole roll on this like one Sandy ass. <laughs> I was like, he's here. I'll post the photos on Twitter when I get a chance. But like, I was just like, oh my God, he's here. So like the excitement of like finding your favorite or like finding a an interesting thing happening is really nice, and it's 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 different from the whole like I gotta train these creatures and then they're gonna fight each other and I'm gonna keep them in slavery in a small digital space for the rest <laughs> of their life. So, which is what Pokemon is. It is, yeah, yeah. But it's nice. But it's nice. And like the original was cool and groundbreaking for its time, and there were a lot of secrets. And I won't you know blow any secrets here, but there are. There's a lot to discover, and it's definitely worth going back and spending more time in and going through. And if you have a favorite Pokemon, it's definitely worth, like, going back to the environment and that you think it'll be in and, like, waiting and going through and seeing, like, oh, is it there? Oh, is it there? Um, the story is interesting. I know they've, like, really leaned in with stories and recent Pokemon games. And my only question is, like... Uh, it's sort of like a, like a, almost like a massive question. It's like, did this civilization just land on this planet? Because they're discovering things and they're in areas where it's like, I feel like you haven't been on this planet very long. If like yeah. you're asking these questions and you don't know that this island region had like five islands. 
So we'll see. Well, it definitely sounds like you've been having fun. I can't wait to see your Sandy Gast photos when you eventually tweet them. Do you have any Pokemon that you're hoping to find in Pokemon Snap that you have yet to take a photo of? I found my boy, my haunted sandcastle. The plushie is somewhere in here. I'd get him if I was going to have him with me if I, but I couldn't find him. Um, I found a trubbish. That's the garbage I, bag one, right? Yes, but I need to find a Garbador. Garbador. That's the other Garbador. One. The trash, because I'm all trash and ghosts. I did find a couple ghost Pokemon. I would love to find a. Um, I would love to find a, a Garbodor, which I guess is pronounced Garbodor, like odor, but I'm just going to call it Garbodor. So don't correct me. Garbodor. <laughs> like, like, like odor. Something yeah, like but Garbodor sounds like odor. Sounds better. Garbodor. I would like to find a Garbodor and then I'd really like to find a Gyarados just because I haven't found one yet. And there's Magikarp freaking everywhere. So like, give me a freaking. I thought that Gyarados. there was some. And maybe I'm misspeaking here. I thought Brittany said that some of the mega evolutions or the evolutions, not to use the wrong jargon, um, aren't available in Pokemon Snap. Well, they're there. They're somewhere. Okay. But I haven't found them yet, despite just spending all of my available not dead brain time in that game. But I'll find you. I'm going to find them. But I want my Garbodor. I found my Trubbish. I got my Sandy Gas. I got my Haunted Sandcastle. I want the other ones because it's just Haunted Sandcastles and garbage. Well, I thing. guess <laughs> you just gotta gotta keep searching. Gotta keep throwing them apples out. Um, well, There's thank you garbage. for giving me an update on your adventures in Pokemon Snap. I am, I love it. Um, that's going to do it for our hands-on segment for this week. When we come back, we're going to go into our final segment, taking your questions and talking to Alexa about her new profession. Well, new, air quotes. Uh, it's been a, a couple years now. Um, being a video games writer. Stick with us, everybody. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It's the final segment of the What's Good Games podcast. This is where I tell you that the final segment is brought to you by Me Undies. Summer is coming. And for so many of us, it's the season of discomfort. That's right. You heard me. Discomfort. It's hot outside. And if you could sit around and just your underwear, you would. Well, guess what? Me Undies wants to make this the summer of comfort. And they want you to know that if you want to sit around in your underwear, that is absolutely allowed. Get comfortable and express yourself this summer with undies in classic and bold colors and fun and adventurous prints. Y'all know that we're big fans of MeUndies around here, and they just rolled out their brand new swimwear collection, which I'm very excited about. I have been living in my MeUndies bralettes these last couple of months. Love my MeUndies shorts. If you haven't picked up any of their shorts yet, they've got super comfortable shorts as well. But let me tell you, rushing home to change is something into something more comfortable is a thing of the past. Not only have all of us been living that panini life, as Alexa Ray Korea likes to say, that pandemic life, 
But, you know, it's really made us all embrace this loungewear lifestyle. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Stay comfy in me undies all day long. Get undies, socks, bralettes, loungewear, and more, and choose from endless styles in sizes extra small through 4XL with their sustainably soft, micromodal, and ultra-light breathe fabrics. Me Undies is a great offer for What's Good Games listeners. For any first-time purchasers out there, you're going to get 15% off and free shipping. That's 15% off and free shipping, but they also have their problem-free philosophy. If you're not satisfied with any of their products for any reason, they'll refund it or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. To get your 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to meundies.com slash WGG. That's M-E-U-N-D-I-E-S dot com slash W-G-G to start living the summer of comfort in your home. Alexa, I asked our patrons at patreon.com slash what's good games that they had some questions for you, and I picked a couple of my faves. So Boy. before before we jump into these questions, I do want to just kind of run down some of the cool stuff that you've been working on. So somebody in the in the Patreon responses had asked, why did she leave What's Good Games in the first place? And I it made me stop and go, oh, yeah, there's a whole segment of people listening and watching the show that never knew that you were on the show in the first place. So just as a refresher for everybody, Alexa Ray um, exited What's Good Games to take an amazing opportunity working for Nintendo. Um, you have since moved on from Nintendo and worked on a, a couple of different solo projects, including writing for several video games, one of which came out last year, that a lot of people loved a game called Bug Snacks. Yeah, yes, it did. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. Um, there were quite. It took a bunch. It took a village to. I don't know if it took a village, but there were a couple of people that made the magic of Bug Snacks happen. But like, I just have to say that working with young horses, like that team, when you think about weird game concepts and trying to make weird work. They just have this like weird otherworldly secret sauce for taking an absolutely bonkers idea and then making it just work, making it something that's just appealing and like makes total sense. Like I remember when I talked to them about it the first time and they were like, so we have this game and it's about eating bugs, but they're actually snacks. And then your body turns into the snacks and there's this whole other thing going on. I'm not going to spoil anything. You should really play it. It's really excellent. And I was just like, Oh, okay. So it's like body horror. And then they were like, here's, you know, the, check out what it looks like. And then I saw what all the grumpuses looked like. And I was like, Oh, so it's like Muppet body horror, which I've seen several people also you use that term to describe it on like Twitter and online and stuff. And like, God damn, like I saw that game, like, a while ago and I know and I know that they that several of us have been with it during its many iterations but like those guys like working with them like they're so sweet and they're so unassuming and they're so just like excited to make games and the thing with indie games is like there's always that fear that like what you're making is not going to be well received or people aren't going to be excited about it because like yourself you're working on it yourself but like I just, I saw it the first time and I was like, I think people are going to love this and seeing the response to it just makes me so happy because I know how much 
heart and soul they they put into it and like I played a small part like working with them but I just I'm so happy I got to because they're just so fun and they're so creative and they're not afraid to just take weird shit and be like okay this is in our game now it's yeah so <laughs> i mean it's it's definitely a weird game john has the plushy strawby uh on the his desk is so cute um and if you guys missed oh, so bug good. snacks it was uh, a really well-received game that came out in fall of last year and obviously is available for you to play now but that's just one of several projects that you have worked on so a question from Trevor Starkey, uh, who writes in and says, How exciting was it for her to see Aztec Forgotten Gods in the Nintendo Indie World Showcase? Did you expect oh it to be there, or was it a surprise to be featured in the event? God, this story. So I I came to Aztec by like a weird, it was it was very, it was a very, it's a, this is a weird story. So it was E3 2019 and I was there independently. I was like doing, I don't know what the fuck I was doing. I think it was after I had left Nintendo and I was like, I'm taking a couple months off and I'm spinning up consulting and, and freelance work and whatever. And Lola Shiraishi, shout out Lola. Uh, she was like, Hey, I know this studio they're based in mexico they're making a game female lead other details i don't want to spoil and they were like and it's all dudes and they'd really like you know i think uh i think you would get along with the other um the other person who's working on like the creative part which and she introduced me to guillermo and guillermo is not only their like head of pr and he does all the pr and marketing and all of the outreach for the studio but he was also their only writer so i sat down with him and we started chatting and he showed me showed me a, you know, a, a demo of what was working in the game and explained the story and told me what it was based in. And we were talking about it and we were talking about it. And then I think I made, or he, one of us, I think it was him, he made a Dragon Ball Z abridged reference, which is a highly specific cultural thing. And I responded in kind and he was like, oh my gosh. And you like Dragon Ball abridged? I'm like, yeah, it's like a thing I watch with my fiance and it's what connected me with him and all that stuff. So we bonded over that and we started talking. And as you can see right now from watching our trailer, it's very much inspired by like the old time fighting action anime with like the big bombastic movements and big power moves and stuff like the spiky hair and stuff like that. Um, but he spun me this tale of like, you know, it's this really heartfelt story about a family and um, their culture. And they're based in Chihuahua, Mexico. And this is very much rooted in Aztec mythology. And the sort of uh, the thought behind it is, you know, how has as, how have the Aztecs and what their culture brought to, you know, Mexican culture, like how, what, what has it, how has it contributed and how has it evolved? And what if those people never, you know, what if they were never conquered and they were still here? How would that have affected the development of like civilization and how would that have affected the, the cultural developments and how they see the world and stuff like that? And so for me, I had a huge learning like a huge learning curve. And, you know, I sat with them and they taught me, I got to learn about, you know, the culture and the way that they feel about this ancient culture from like first to first person, like straight from their mouths, like how they feel about stuff like, you know, human sacrifices and how they saw the gods and stuff like that. And it was just fascinating and amazing. And the fact that they trusted me with working on this with them is just humbling. Like it's such an honor that team is 
it's a small team. They're all super passionate. They're all super lovely. And if you watched, uh, I did a dice panel last month with Guillermo um, talking about how sort of the pandemic or the, you know, the Panera opened up this like shared vulnerability between the two of us. And we really wrote this really emotional tale and Guillermo was amazing. Like, please everyone go bother him on Twitter and talk to him. He's such an amazing human being, but the seeing it in the Nintendo showcase, I did get like a minor heads up that it would, the announcement was coming and seeing it in the Nintendo showcase was extremely weird one because it's like in a nintendo showcase and it's like everyone is watching this because it's nintendo and then two i have a lot of friends that are there and i know they saw this and i know they saw the press kit and my name is in that press kit and i know they were probably like oh my goodness and i heard from them after and got to talk to them about it and stuff and then of course there's the third thing which is seeing public reaction to it and it was just like overwhelmingly like it's it was just crazy to open my timeline and see people talking about this game and being like, oh, my God, like an Aztec RPG about this and that and everything. And like we worked on this in secret, like during half of 2019 and then most of 2020. And it's just so crazy to see it out in the wild now. But again, seeing it like a Nintendo indie world and then. Seeing Guillermo talking about it and then seeing that trailer, I was just like, this is weird. Because, like, I worked for Nintendo and now they're announcing my game because I left to go right. And now I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell? And then the, the, and then the, the film announcement finally got announced. And I got a little heads up on that, too. And I was just like, uh, okay, like, this thing that we were like... Me and this one guy were like, hey, we both think Dragon Ball Z Abridged is really funny, and we're also inspired by fighting anime. Like, has evolved into what it is now is just mind-boggling to me. But, like, the experience has been wonderful. Working with that team has been wonderful. And, again, like, having people who I haven't maybe spoken to in a few years, or people, or however long, and then just random people seeing that trailer... Uh, people from back home, people that are not, I have friends that are not in games, which is weird to think about, but having them being like, oh, I was watching the Nintendo presentation and this game looks really good. And then I saw you post about it on your Facebook or I saw you post about it on Twitter or whatever. It's like, oh my God, like you worked on this. And it's like, yeah, like they let me work on this with them. And I'm like really proud of them. And it's amazing to work with a team from another culture, from another country, because I learned from them. And then they learned from me, or at least they told me they did. I hope I gave them something in return. It'd be, I'd be embarrassed if I didn't give them anything in return. I just showed up and I'm made this thing and left. I'm that you had some amazing. wonderful <laughs> things to contribute, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, you can tell I'm really emotional because now I'm like rambling, but I loved working on that game with them. And I, oh, and like the, our, please watch our, our dice conversation. It's up on YouTube if you can. And it's just like that game is, I can't wait for people to finally get it in their hands. It was surreal to see it get announced and then everything else that came with it. <laughs> Seriously, congratulations. It's a, it's a huge achievement for people who are wondering where they can learn more about the game. Play is the website. Uh, according to the trailer, it says fall 2021 coming to Nintendo switch. So you guys can <laughs> learn more about that, but there is a second part to Trevor's question. 
which I Ooh. feel compelled to ask, and that is with her <laughs> and Belinda Garcia working at Sledgehammer, how long until we get the announcement that Sledgehammer is really working on Kingdom Hearts 4? <laughs> oh my God. Can, I, can I talk about Belinda for a hot second? Yes, Belinda. of course you can. Belinda is wonderful. I, God, like I... I got to meet her for drinks a couple weeks ago and we literally sat and stared at each other for, I think the first five minutes we were physically <laughs> together. I'm just like, and I'm, I'm just like in, in awe of her. She has worked her. She's, I'm so excited to play Stonefly out June 1st. Go play it. Um, she just, she just works so hard without giving anything away about anything that's going on. She works so hard. She's so wonderful. And she's one of those people that's like, She's she will hype you up for free. Like she's when she's in your corner, she's in your corner forever. And she's also from like a writing and talent perspective. Like I'm real glad no one has found her before this because now we have her and we're going to keep her. Like she's the magical secret weapon in in the arsenal of like what we're working on. Like I am so thrilled to be working with her and when we have a tough day, she's like the first to be like, no, I got you. Like, don't worry about it. Like, I am so happy to be there with her. And I don't know if she's going to listen to this podcast, but she, if she does, she's going to be really embarrassed because I'm talking good things about her. Oh, but I don't think she'll be embarrassed. <laughs> she might blush a little, but she she's a oh, wonderful Belinda. person. And she does listen hey. to this podcast from time to time. Um, but I'll be sure to let her know that that you were gassing her up a bit on the, on the show. Um, yeah, she, she's great. You guys should follow her. if you guys aren't already following she's her. Wonderful. But on the kingdom hearts Four subject, like it's good to have another person in the office. Who's like the power of friendship. And like, <laughs> but what if it was darkness? Like she's, it's, it's, it's so good to have someone who just understands you like fundamentally on like that <laughs> level. But like, we've definitely, we've definitely had moments where it's like, a Kingdom Hearts moment, and when and it's it's it you can when you when another Kingdom Hearts diehard is in the room, you just feel better. <laughs> oh my Kingdom Hearts diehard fans, you can feel it. But no, it's really really great. Also, I think if it's like Nomura approached us and was like, "Do you two want to work on Kingdom Hearts 4? I don't know if we do it because that series is like so far in left field right now, and I feel like at least for me personally, I just want to love something. And not have to work on it. And the it's pressure. I mean, like, what happens if you work on it and then you, like, screw it up and the fan base hates you forever? Well, I feel that right now with Call of Duty 2021. Like, I really hope everybody likes what they get eventually. So, please. But yay, that's a pretty but... that's a pretty big <laughs> team, right? Like, that's not falling squarely on your shoulders, regardless of what happens or which direction you know, Sledgehammer goes. I mean, I think when you talk about some of the work you're doing on like Aztec, for example, it's a little bit more personal, right? So I guess the the pressure mounts. But I mean, you've been a creative your entire life. This isn't the first project that you've written. I mean, how do you deal with those pressures? I mean, you and I have talked on this show before about the importance of mental health and how imposter syndrome mm. affects us all. I mean, you're working on some, you know, really big, incredible projects right now. How are you kind of coping with all that? Well, the thing that I keep, co- the thought that I keep coming back to is like my little, my, my sibling is going to play this game. So I have two siblings, five and 10 years apart. 
and the one who's 10 years apart is a diehard Call of Duty fan. And like, I can't, uh, he doesn't know what I'm, what I'm working on other than what's been publicly announced. I can't tell him shit. But it's just weird to me to think that like, I'm going to put something into the world and he's going to play it. And he's going to be like, my sister worked on this. And that's like incredibly like that's where the pressure starts to come in. Like that's where I start to feel like, oh, like I'm making something that like my blood relative, like this being that I've known since he came into the world is going to play this thing that I worked on and he's going to pass judgment on it. And if he hates it, I'm going to shrivel up and die. Like I don't like like everyone can like I like I welcome opinions like I am not above criticism like like art subjective all that stuff but if my little brother doesn't like what I make I'm literally going to shrivel up and die I'm just gonna go in the he's corner he's going and to love it and, and if he doesn't he won't say anything if he knows what's good for him no he will he will he'll say something we'll be at we'll be at Christmas and he'll be just like so why did you do this thing or like, what is this thing? And I'm going to be like, Oh man. But the way I deal with the pressure is in general is just like, I, you know, me. And I think every game writer feels this way. It's like, they want every, they want people to feel represented and they want people to feel like they're having fun. So we don't really think, or at least I don't think in a sense of like, this is my art and this is the story I'm telling and this is what I want to do because this is how I see it. But I, I sort of, I, I think about everybody else out there and like what's coming. And I, and I really want when I create and then for Aztec, for Bucktex, for everything. And I think about like, these are the people that are going to look at it and these are the people that I want to feel a certain way. So like, what can I make that will make them, you know, have fun because it's a video game. You should be having fun when you're playing a video game. Don't hate play video games. I've done it. It's not great. Don't do it. Um, what would make you have, you know, a great time or like what would enrich your life or what would enrich, you know, how you think or make you think. So um, I just think about like what me as like that little fangirl who's going to boot up her console and pop something in and spend a couple hours playing something on like a Friday night. Like, how would she feel? Like, what would she, you know, be looking for? So whenever I write, I think about that person and I think about, you know, my brother popping in that console on a Friday night when he's not working and thinking about it. So I just think about the people out there and what will make them smile or, you know, make them want to play a couple hours before bed and then go to bed feeling peaceful. Like I make stories for, for the world. And I hope I make something that people like, I'm thinking about everybody. I want everybody to have fun. <laughs> I like that sentiment. Okay. To wrap up our interview, I've got two final questions. This first one is from Devin Nitz. Devin asks, is there a favorite part of your job that you can share with us? And it doesn't yeah. have to be specifically about the job you're in now, but I think about being a writer in video games. But it can be specific mm. if you would like. So I'm going to, it's, it's being a writer, in, I'm going to have a twofold answer. Being a writer in video games, I like it because you're working on an ever evolving medium. Like you just don't write a script and then you hand it over and you're like, okay, bye, I'm done that thing is constantly getting edited, constantly getting iterated on. Something changes, a boss fight changes, a, a scenario changes, something gets cut. And you're constantly, you know, working with the puzzle of like, okay, we've taken out this whole section of the puzzle. How do we fill in those puzzle pieces again? So it's constantly evolving and it's 
kind of like a brain teaser. And that's what I love about writing for games as opposed to a medium like, you know, books or uh, television or comics, even though I do have some television movie stuff in the, in the works. Um, but the thing I work about that I love about working where I am right now with my current team is it is 50% women, which is something I've never encountered before, which is crazy to me. Um, and crazy to all of them. I have this beautiful team and we're all, you know, from diverse backgrounds, diverse places. And, uh, we all get along really great. And it's, I love coming into work every day and talking to them, but we are split pretty evenly male, female. And that is definitely unheard of in the world of video games. Oh my God. It's crazy. Shout out to Steven Rhodes, our boss. You did a good job. Good (laughs) job, Steven. Um, but um, no, like we we have a group of people who are very alert, who are very in tune, who are very thoughtful, who are very worldly, who are very um, who mesh together. And it's just really great to and I've worked on a lot of projects who other stuff that hasn't been announced and whatever. But I've worked in a lot of spaces where as a writer, you're maybe like the only woman or you're one of one other women, one other women, one other woman. One other woman. You're, it's you and like one other. But it's incredibly like crazy to come in and have that like as a woman have that support network of like there's a couple of you and you can talk about stuff and understand what's going on and just sort of have that that sounding board for when maybe something doesn't sound right or something comes off a little weird. Like having that that little network in your workspace is just like absolutely incredible. And I also get to work with... Um, besides Belinda and Shelby and Megan, I get to work with Sam Maggs. Shout out, Sam. You're freaking awesome. Who's a amazingly accomplished uh, game writer. She worked on Ratchet and Clank uh, and she created uh, Rivet. That's her, her, her current thing. And she's in a bunch of comics and she's so incredible. So cool. Yeah. Like, Sam is awesome. Oh, she's, I love her. She's amazing. And like, it's just it's just so crazy to come into that space and see that diversity quotient like so even because I think we get so much more done and and it's just so the conversations are so much more fluid. So I love that I'm in a space where um, the 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 studio has really leaned into like DNI and is like we mean it. And I'm just really happy. Like I sign on to work it every day. And of course, all the other like girly bullshit. I have like several people to like talk to about, which is really nice. <laughs> I love it. You love to see it. It's so good. Um, okay. Final question is from Elmo Shell. In your games or games you have worked on are excluded. What okay. game are you looking forward to? Games. So let's say a game that has been announced revealed obviously not like you know something that's a little bit more ethereal like half-life 3 um you know like what what game is alexa ray like super hype for no well i'm a big fan of dad simulator god of war so god of war ragnarok is up there big time i love the dad son they're the parent child dynamic so i'm really interested to see how that evolves into the next game and then I haven't picked it up yet. No, wait a minute. I just mixed up two games. I know it's coming out soon. It's coming out in like one week, but I'm really excited to play or one week, two weeks, Deathloop. Ah, oh, really yes. Deathloop. I think that got moved to June. Get it? Whatever. Just put, give it to me. Take it, put it in, give it to me. 
I want it. It looks so cool. Oh, it got moved to September. September 14th, 2021. I'll wait. I'll wait for you. This just shows like how out of how out of the out of the loop, out of the death loop, uh, out of the like like I'm just not paying attention because I'm like in gamed and land, just you know drinking wine and you know doing like, your gerb, doing my gerb, which is a fun gerb. No, I'm really I'm really excited for that game. Returnal just came out. I need to pick it up. But I, I, the art style and sort of like the premise behind Deathloop was really intriguing for me. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I love Arcane as a studio. I think that that yes. game has so much potential. Um, and I'm definitely looking forward to hearing more, seeing more about that game. Good pick. Good pick, Alexa. Well, I want thank it. you so <laughs> much for answering those questions and for being on the show with me today. It's been so great to have you back. Um, do you have any kind of parting thoughts or words on, you know, kind of where you're at or, you know, kind of, you know, the state of the industry or kind of just how you feel about life in general, anything? Don't let anyone shame you for playing on baby ass baby mode. Yes, I'm so glad <laughs> you said that. <laughs> baby ass baby mode. Don't let anyone shame you. Sometimes you just got to get it done, but you still want to enjoy it. Don't let anyone shame you. It's okay. Don't. That's why it's there. <laughs> Preaching to the choir, my friend. I mean, play Resident Evil on casual and feel good about yep. it. I did. That's no regrets. <laughs> I would like to get casually stepped on. That's how I'm going. <laughs> casually. That's how I'm going. Please, just casually, <laughs> casually, real casually. Nothing official, nothing formal. I just, just you know, just a. If it if it comes to that, just a little casual stepping. It's fine. Just, just casual. A little, little baby casual. baby step. Baby as baby mode casual step one. stepping. A little bit. It's great. Baby as um, baby mode. Well, Alexa, if people who are listening to the show want to follow you and learn more about the games that you're working on. Like where's the best place for people to kind of keep up with what you're doing? Uh, well, you can go to Twitter and see what kind of dumb shit I'm tweeting about. It's at Alexa Racy. It's either photos of my dog or I'm complaining about something, but that's where I am. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Who doesn't love doggo photos? It's great. If you love my or listening to the podcast and you weren't at, YouTube.com slash Wesker Games. You didn't get to see Chip. Trust me, there are plenty of photos on the internet of this adorable little dog. Um, well, thank you again for being on the show. We look forward to hearing more about what you're currently working on when it's no longer top secret. We'll have you back on the show to talk about it. And um, enjoy the rest of your weekend, everybody. I'll be back with Steimer next week. Take care. Bye. Bye.